<laughs> All right, Moses, I know you. What's this really about? Ramesses, look, what do you see? A greater Egypt than that of my father. That is not what I see. <laughs> Moses, I cannot change what you see. I have to maintain the ancient traditions. I bear the weight of my father's crown. Do you still not understand what said he was? He was a great leader. His hands bore the blood of thousands of children. <laughs> Slaves. My people. And I can no longer hide in the desert while they suffer. At your hands. So, you have returned only to free them. Welcome to Franchise Killer, a podcast where we pick movie franchises or wannabe franchises, review them film by film, and see where things went wrong. Or right. All right. Who was who that supposed to be? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ramses. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, there I'm you go. I'm Reese. To my left is somebody with beer in their mouth. David. <laughs> Further off to my left, Irina. Across from me, Noah. And chariot racing through the streets of Egypt, we have AJ. <laughs> I, you sound surprisingly good for being in a, a heated race through a, a desert climate. Full of heat. Full of heat. <laughs> it's, it's hot over there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Today we're talking about The Prince of Egypt, a film that came out in 1998. It's directed by Brenda Chapman, Steve Hickner, and Simon Wells. It stars Val Kilmer, Ray Fiennes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum, Danny Glover, Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. That is a cast. Mm. <laughs> that is a voice cast. I mean, that's probably one of the yeah. largest lineups of stars we've had since Oceans. And I, yeah, and I will say some of them match the characters very well, and some of them not so much. Not mm-hmm. so much. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, the movie's written by Philip Lezebnik, and it's based on the Book of Exodus. Wait, really? Like from the Bible? Yes, the like book. from the Bible, guys. The oh man. Hmm. Uh. Anyway, this is our first, the first uh, DreamWorks film that we're covering, and this is during the time when Katzenberg kind of broke away from Disney after being fired by Eisner and was like, you know what, I'm going to start DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg, and we're going to make our own animated movies, and they're going to be just as good, if not better. They're going to be huge. They're going to be huge. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes very similar. Yeah, and uh, this was kind of part of the opening salvo for DreamWorks Animation. You had Ants this year, and you had Prince of Egypt uh, following closely after, which is something I didn't know until I researched. I thought Prince of Egypt was first, and then Ants was, like, later. But Ants was their first movie, technically. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, What I like, though, is that Katzenberg pitched the idea for this movie 
to Disney before he left, and they're like, hey, we ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole. Like, they they were not going to touch religion. Disney, you cowards, is basically what David's trying to say. I mean, they, they don't they don't try that hard sometimes. Yeah. DreamWorks definitely, they don't pull their punches. Yeah, at least two of the uh, DreamWorks animated films that came out were kind of pet projects for Katzenberg. Like, uh, I think it was this one and Sinbad were mm-hmm. two that he had kind of pitched to Disney, and they oh, were yeah. like, we're not doing that. <laughs> and then Ants was one that he may or may not have stolen directly from Disney. Actually, funny thing about Ants is DreamWorks, it, I don't know if it was Katzenberg who reached out to Disney or Pixar, but they said they would basically cancel that movie if Bugs Life moved away from that holiday slot that was directly competing against the Prince of Egypt. And Disney was like, we're not doing that. And so they're like, all right, we're so releasing Katzenberg, Ants. just like middle finger. <laughs> yeah, it, it's happening. <laughs> Which is kind of, it's, it's kind of ballsy to be like, yeah, we're yeah. going to cancel this $60 million production. I know, right? It's Disney. But maybe that was just confidence in Prince of Egypt as a film, but who knows? Anyway, for those new to this podcast, on this podcast, we first go over our thoughts on the film before revisiting it for the episode. Then we dive into the story, break it down bit by bit, and talk about the more significant moments. Then towards the end of the show, we give our brief reviews and numbered scores, along with an analysis on the health of the franchise and whether or not this film hurt it. So, gang, had y'all seen The Prince of Egypt before this episode? David. Oh, yeah. Definitely have. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I definitely saw this movie a long time ago. And, um, I mean, I also grew up, you know, going to Christian school. And I remember my parents were like, you're definitely watching this one. And, uh, yeah, I think that it was a good choice, regardless of whether or not uh, it's religious or if you're a religious person. So, yeah. AJ. Uh, nope, I have not. Had to not, rather. And you said that's going to be kind of a trend with all these movies for you, right? Yep. Just these are all kind of blind spots? That's correct. Irina. Yes, I had. Um, I don't remember the exact time I did see it, whether it was something my family put on or I, had a f- I was visiting a friend and we watched it together. But um, I always remembered my first impression before seeing the film was, oh, it's going to be one of those really cheesy Bible stories where they're trying to make religion cool or whatever. And I was pleasantly surprised. All right. Noah. Yes, I have watched this. You had seen this before? Yeah. About the same as Irina. Ambiguous age. Exactly. As usual. And I'm with AJ on this one. I had not seen this movie the only part I remember maybe like walking into a room and then walking out having seen was the chariot race scene. And maybe that's mm. just like the trailer or something that I remembered. I don't know. All I know is I knew that chariot race scene and none of any other part of this movie was recognizable at all. I think they actually used that on some of the covers of some of the movies when it came out too. So yeah, maybe you saw that. Well, I could see that being a part of the trailer where it's just like, oh yeah, yeah just show the show the chariot racing action. That's what they come <laughs> for. Uh, but yeah, I, I had not seen this movie, which is totally surprising because I have seen all of the other DreamWorks movies except for maybe Sinbad to not see what is kind of referred to as their best of the traditionally hand-drawn animated movies is kind of crazy. It's their but, first hand-drawn, too. Yeah, I know. All right. Are y'all ready to get into that story? Yes. Yeah, baby. Hush now, my baby. Be 
from a river. Come, Ramesses. We will show Pharaoh your new baby brother, Moses. <laughs> second born, second place. Not for long. Raised by royalty. You are not a prince of Egypt. What did you say? Everything I am is a lie. You are our son. I can't stay here any longer. Moses? Please. Goodbye, brother. The truth gave him the courage to do the impossible. Abandon this futile mission, Moses. DreamWorks Pictures presents a story for our time. Look at your life through heaven's eyes. A celebration of the human spirit. In ancient Egypt, the enslaved Hebrew people prayed to God for deliverance. Pharaoh Seti, fearing that the numbers of Hebrew slaves could lead to a rebellion, orders a mass infanticide of all newborn Hebrew boys. Fearing for her newborn son's safety, Yohaved and her other two children, Miriam and Aaron, rush to the Nile River, where she places the infant in a basket on the water, after bidding him farewell with a final lullaby. Miriam follows the basket as it sails to the pharaoh's palace and witnesses her baby brother safely adopted by Seti's wife, Queen Tuya, who names him Moses. Before leaving, Miriam prays that Moses will come back to them and set their people free. Alright, so from the get-go, this movie feels like a different beast than other animated films that I've seen. I'm not it's not completely different, but mm-hmm. it it's it's confident and it seems like it means business. Yeah. Uh, you have your opening kind of prologue here, the song "Deliver Us." It's might be the best song in the movie, but it's it portrays all these slaves working in Egypt, just chanting this song, and it's it's already got me on an mm. emotional level. Can you name another Disney movie where they start by showing people getting whipped and pushed into the mud and like slash marks across their back and. Like, weirdly, whoa. weirdly, the movie that comes to mind, and it's not Disney, is Conan, the Barbarian, mm. where it's oh, like yeah. they're slowly working on that wheel, and one by one they're dropping. Right, which is uh, un- another childhood favorite. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, this movie's decidedly more serious. It is still a family movie, but it, right. it's dealing with some darker themes, some darker material, heavier topics. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the animation in this is mm-hmm. so well done. The painterly backgrounds, the, oh, yeah. just the attention to detail on the characters and their expressions. Uh, I'm not getting into the main characters yet because yeah, they're not yeah. there, but I was just... The art direction's on point. So the I, I remember learning that the art direction was particularly influenced by like three significant artists, and mm-hmm. I know that... Monet was one of them for his use of color. And then there was another, there was a French artist, but I can't remember the name of it, if you guys learned about this at all. But they were essentially wanting to focus on lighting, color, and then just sheer scale. Like mm-hmm. they, and they nailed all three of those. It's they really, really cool it's to a, see it on film. It's pretty stunning. And this is a movie I was kind of skeptical about, even though I had heard good things. Prince of Egypt, it's never been on my list of films to catch up on. I, I, I've just 
for some reason, it's just occupies that right space in my mind of things that I was like, eh, I don't really yeah. ever need to see that's, that's, these movies. It's like yeah. another Moses movie. Like I've seen the Ten Commandments several times. Right. Like, why do I need to see an animated version of it? So exactly. I get exactly. where you're coming from. But uh, also what this movie does well animation-wise is blending the CG pretty seamlessly. Yes. Uh, oh, especially yeah. it, compared to Atlantis and then we'll talk about in uh, El Dorado. Uh, this one yes. definitely takes the cake. Yes. And in terms of people or, or studios that compete with Disney... I think DreamWorks, at least during this era, really did come the closest to mm. actually like matching them beat oh, for yeah. beat. Oh, yeah. Uh, at least if we're to consider El Dorado, which is a movie where we already watched, but we're kind of releasing these out of order, and Prince of Egypt. They're just kind of, they're, they're on that level. They've got right. some of that mojo. Uh, and perhaps that because that is because Katzenberg did have former animators for Disney working on this movie. Right. But there were also others involved yeah. as well. So it had a lot of the the DNA as well. So maybe maybe that's why it, it feels that way. I don't know. I bet that's pretty much all of it, actually. You got the main producer and a lot of the animators. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would do they a hit lot the of ground work. running. Yes. I think uh, something you said, Risa, actually the word that you mentioned, confidence, uh, that just hit me because it, it really is true you watch this movie and there's it's just they had faith in their work mm. which which is a funny word to use for this movie but mm. it's just it, it's so evident that they knew what they wanted to do and they were carrying it out and everyone was on board like you, you could just feel that they were all working as a team to put this together yes all right uh other than the opening song and just kind of the intro to this movie there's not really much more in this section we'll, we'll talk more about the music and uh the composers which are Hans Zimmer and Steven Schwartz going forward but uh, that's that's just kind of an indication as to what we're in store for for the rest of this movie and it's uh yeah I, I guess the one thing we should say though about the first song deliver us or deliver us or deliverance yeah or deliver, deliver us. us okay I yeah. got it right for some reason my brain is like nah deliverance mm -hmm. um that was the first song they wrote for the movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. They wanted to set the tone for what the rest of the movie was going to be like. And so they put a lot of work into that first one, and you can really tell. Yes. I mean, it's heavy and very long, actually. It's not like a standard yeah. you know, person singing for a minute and a half. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. It's a powerful intro. Like I, I can't think of any better way to start the movie, honestly. Yeah. All right. Years later, Moses and his adoptive brother, Ramses, heir to the throne of Egypt, are scolded by Seti for accidentally destroying a temple during a chariot race. At Moses' suggestion to give Ramses the opportunity to prove his responsibility, Seti names Ramses Prince Regent and gives him authority over Egypt's temples. As a tribute, high priests Hotep and Hoy offer Ramses a beautiful young Midianite woman, Zipporah. Ramses gives Zipporah to Moses and appoints him royal chief architect. Later that night, Moses follows Zipporah as she escapes from the palace and runs into the now-adult Miriam and Aaron, whom he does not recognize. Miriam then sings their, their mother's lullaby, triggering Mo Moses' memory. He flees in denial, but learns the truth of Seti's genocide from a nightmare, then from Seti himself, who disturbs Moses by claiming the Hebrews were only slaves. The next day, Moses tries to stop an Egyptian slave driver from whipping an elderly Hebrew slave, accidentally pushing the guard to his death. Horrified and ashamed, Moses flees into the desert in exile, despite Ramses' plea that he stay. 
It's not a Disney movie, guys. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yep. And they they didn't shy away from some of the heavy topics that were well, that was in the book, right? Like he actually killed somebody in the book. Mm. Now, what happens sort of in between there it might change a little bit, but that's intense. Yeah. So, yeah. So in terms of accuracy, we we I, I know a number of us were doing a little bit of research, and they did actually consult like what six hundred religious experts. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if any of y'all did any research on this, but I'm I'm wondering, are there any kind of chinks in the armor here or does it kind of hold firm to the original Exodus texts? I I would say basically um, it's going along what it did claim or kind of the disclaimer at the beginning of the film where these are based on, you know, a lot of the morals and motifs of the story but it's not there are liberties taken yeah yeah so and i think definitely in the beginning just to point out some parts that were altered um i think it's assumed that the woman who gets moses out of the basket is the pharaoh's wife when technically it's supposed to be his daughter but for the sake of plot and incorporating Moses into this kind of family life to make the struggle more difficult for mm-hmm. him, it makes sense. Like, So they made it more of a family unit so that uh, breaking away from them is felt that much more. So yeah. Okay. Uh, so if there's anything egregious about the story that stands out to y'all going forward when compared to Book of Exodus or whatever that bothers you, shout it out i'm just i'm just curious i'm not saying it like it's wrong that this movie strays in any way or is accurate in any way i'm just i'd be curious to know well the was it the son of the pharaoh uh ramses ramses yeah he wasn't actually there like that they didn't grow up as brothers in the actual book oh so there you go he just grew up now now i can smoothly transition into ramses and moses uh how do y'all feel about the vocal performances from uh ray fines and uh, Val Kilmer here, and how do you feel the chemistry between these characters works, at least in the beginning in this chariot race, and then afterwards when they're kind of, you know, up to their shenanigans? This yeah. was good. Yeah. I, I was nodding. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess one thing I'll say is they definitely don't sound Egyptian, but... That's yeah, not the point, right. I guess. But, yeah. uh, well, they're also not... E- well, I guess one of them is. Yeah. I was going to say, they're not both Egyptian. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, but... I think that uh, especially uh, Ray Fiennes does an amazing job. Yeah, Ramsey's oh, yeah. is on point. Yeah. Uh, I, and I'm not going to give a short shrift to Val Kilmer either. I think yeah. he oh, yeah. does a solid job as Moses mm. well, and, and the voice of God. Apparently <laughs> he came into the studio several times, even for small uh, things as far as doing voiceovers again and again, just Who, to uh, Val, Val Kilmer. Kilmer. Okay. Just to mm. get it right, just to get the right inflection in it. I think it was him that mentioned it was a particularly refreshing experience because he he kind of missed theater acting mm-hmm. and this felt closer to theater acting again for him oh, cool. than being on other film sets. What, so. you mean The Saint just like wasn't a theater production? <laughs> Honestly though, Val Kimmer is amazing in this and I wasn't expecting him to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah. Val Kimmer's great, you know, like he's a good guy, but Every other movie before this, other than like Top Gun, eh, like hit or miss. What about yeah. The Saint? Yeah, hit it's or miss. Real <laughs> let's just say, let's just say it's usually a movie. miss. Yeah. I I also want to shout out Patrick Stewart as a uh, Pharaoh Seti. I think 
he does yeah an excellent job like mainly because at first you're like oh this is kind of like a mufasa type you know yeah. it seems like a, a a father who's just kind of disappointed in his kids you know acting up yeah but then later but he how loves he, them <laughs> how there's a turn to his character when you figure out what he's responsible sinister. for yeah the sinister tones in his voice yet he you could also see it still as trying to be a warm mm. presence but it's just not working you know, uh, it takes something that you previously thought was warm yeah. and then realize there's a lot more going on behind the scene this yes. is where i applaud artistic liberties because you know in the book of exodus you don't really get a lot of those details it's the focus is on other elements but mm -hmm. for the sake of a visual narrative and getting to follow Moses' story and meeting all these characters. I love that they put attention to you feeling conflicted about even the Pharaoh, who mm -hmm. is supposed to be evil, but you're not entirely sure you want to believe that, as well as the fact that he thinks he's doing the right thing, which yes. is very real. That's mm -hmm. a very real situation. Yeah. That's one of the best things about this movie is all of the motivations of the characters and the depth that mm. each of them has yes. is the best out of almost any animated movie I've seen. Yeah. And, and while I'm, I'm going to be mostly praising this uh -huh. movie, I do have one flaw and it is in the scene where uh, Moses comes upon Miriam and what's his name? Aaron. Yeah. When the, the ladies is trying to escape. Right. I thought that was extremely coincidental. Mm. I get that it's an animated movie, but I was still like, oh, this is just, this would never yeah. happen. Uh, it could have been written in a slightly different way. Yeah, I, and this is, yeah. The, this is the scene when Moses realizes who he really is, when mm. Miriam sings a lullaby to him and he remembers something about right. his, when he was a newborn baby and he was yeah. put well, on the... So I think it really fits with the kind of movie this is. Okay. And it's like one about, you know, almost prophecy and like it was just like it was meant to happen or, or fate just to run into that yeah, it situation. Was like mm -hmm. like in the in this movie it's Nothing like God making them meet up so that right. he will end up being like Yeah. Well his instrument. I, I mean I was gonna say I agree with Noah. I do think that in in a lot of the things that in other movies would be seen as un not possible, you can attribute to the fact that God is intervening in this. Yeah. Now, I will say also in that scene, it is still, I think, the weakest scene in the entire movie. Yeah. Um, I think that some of the voice acting is probably like not great, yeah. I would argue, especially with... Um, <clears throat> Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Oh, Sandra yeah. Bullock gets by a, a little it's, bit better. Yeah. Although is, her motivation as a character yeah. just kind of gets... Eh. I think that uh, this is one of those points where I... I, I feel like there are some actors where they're just not meant to be voice actors. It doesn't, they can't really translate in the mm -hmm. same way just through their voice. Jeff Goldblum is all body language. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. he, his voice is iconic, but there's, his mannerisms are unlike normal people. Yeah. So trying to portray him in an animated form you're not going to think anything other than Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. You, you can't really yep. let your mind meld them into a character. Mm -hmm. And th this is an early sign of DreamWorks just kind of going after the biggest name talent at the time, no matter if they fit 
a character mm-hmm. or not just to get that name on there. Right. And DreamWorks hasn't stopped doing that. You look at all of their movies, even up to their latest, it's always like all these right. big names in the in the voice cast. Yeah. And nothing was really like that before this either, from what I'm aware uh, I, mean, I mean, I know they Disney. have big names. But Disney. That started it. with Aladdin, with Robin Williams. Right. And yeah. that's a whole okay. drama. Yeah. It was an epic Around to itself. But right. Captain Burke capitalized on that to where the point, and especially Shrek, I mean, they started advertising the posters with the names right. to draw the audience. So, yes, yeah. that, that started, but that's a whole different conversation. So uh, I'm going to take us back a bit uh, and kind of talk about art again, especially with Seti in the throne room. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the thematically, the art in this supports the characters and the story mm-hmm. and things very well to where when Seti is uh, talking to his, his sons and his, his son and his adoptive son, and he changes that show, like his, his tonal shift he silhouettes mm-hmm. himself with the monuments in the background perfectly aligned with his profile um, yeah. in his own image. And then we have the chariot race, which looks very well done. Um, and it just, you know, starts the energy. But just the fact that they just dump all the sand and destroy all this work that all these slaves have done. And they're just goofing around. They don't give, you know, a second thought about it really. Um, and then mm-hmm. finally we see Moses, like, that just kind of shows their privilege early on compared mm-hmm. to, it, it really establishes the dichotomy early on. Um, right. And even the whole wig thing with Moses, like, you know, that was a thing with the Egyptians, of course, but we only see really Moses wearing that with the straight hair. It falls off and we see his curly hair underneath. So they, right. they do a lot of supporting things, uh, even when Moses as a baby is drawn out of the water and he's being carried and his shadow eclipses over the young Ramses. Uh, there's so yes. much detail in what's on screen that's kind of exactly. in the background, but it really supports things very well. And it's like, it kind of goes by the wayside. You don't notice it until you're really thinking about it. And it leaves stuff with you that just kind of lingers and really yeah. well establishes the relationships too between Ramses and, and, and uh, Moses. Yes. Yeah, th- this movie is so genius how it mm. and how it hides how horrible Egypt is in plain sight almost in the beginning when you're first introduced to Moses and Ramsey it's like oh yeah oh this is like a happy go lucky they're a tail they're 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 buddies they're brothers and oh there's a there's a couple of people there who look like they're doing some work that doesn't look pleasant but right you know that's not the point right now there's that sense of separation from yes. that yeah and, but then when it flips and you realize it was there all along, and you're seeing it through Moses's eyes, and he's real. He's noticing all these things he never noticed before. Right. It's just, I think it's just so masterfully yeah. done in this movie because you're like, oh yeah, Egypt is a messed up place. And mm. I've I've encountered some people who would say something like, "What he he hasn't noticed that for this long?" It's like you would be surprised the things you yourself in your life don't notice just because it's always been that way. Yeah. And like you he don't had never noticed that mural it. with uh, Seti dropping right. uh, Pharaoh Seti dropping the babies right. into the ocean the with alligator and the crocs. Yeah. And Gosh. it was just, I think it was it was just really well done. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the just this tonal shift with not only the music but changing in the lighting and perspective really does. They they do such a good job of drawing the viewer into. Moses and his way of thinking throughout and his transitions through mm-hmm. the film. It's so good. It's crafted it's, well. 
And while I could have used just a little bit more time establishing, you know, Moses and Ramsey, mm-hmm. I do think it does enough where, where it makes the most of each of its scenes to right. establish who its characters are. Yeah. Whereas in some of the other animated films we've covered, I'm like, no, we didn't spend enough yeah. time with Milo or I got the sense of who Moses was and I believed in his kind of enlightening moment or right. his, his change where it's like, okay, I got to get out of here. Right. Uh, I think the hard thing was Ramsey's is the fact that they, they sell him as such a good person in the beginning. Like I know that he overlooks things just as much as Moses did, but he obviously cares about Moses, yeah. which makes their, their break later that much harder. Oh right. yeah. They mm-hmm. really showed their bond. Well, I also it. something that is cleverly done is you, you still feel like Ramsey's is a redeemable character. He has a chance. Uh, Seti, not so much because he's a uh, Seti in his ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the the whole scene where um, he's Seti is talking to Ramses and saying yes, but one weak you know, link. link in the chain, you know, can destroy a dynasty, and just how how accurate that is to it's just a, it's a lesson also for parents mm-hmm. where you know words mean more to your children than you think they do. Like yeah. this could be like, sending your stick kid with them for yeah. Ever. And that grows. And also the following scene where Ramses, you can tell this is his uh, gloomy place, you know, where he goes to sit and reflect and, you know, be down in the dumps. And it's sitting, I'm pretty sure it's sitting in the lap of his father, essentially. Mm. It looked like his father. But, um, and then there's uh, Moses standing in the light talking to him and Ramses is in the dark and mm. it's just that that All felt that like such a yeah, yeah it felt like such a real moment though because people do that they they hide in their place to reflect on you know what just happened so i think that was the most intimate and meaningful moment between two brothers in my mind in this movie yeah. like that that was what of, such a sign it. of this movie's maturity yeah. too where it's like it's trusting its audience to kind of buy into this and you know look for clues and look for right. symbolism and i i just think it's operating on a higher level oh, than yeah. other animated movies do i'm not it saying it has a lot of a... visual intelligence yes. behind it yeah the the fleshing out of ramesses character and his you know relationship with moses early on uh, right. is the best thing about this movie in my opinion and it goes far and beyond uh, on the precedent of the 10 commandments with charlton heston Mm. And you even have like some references with the art style here to the matte backdrops and the wide shots and everything like that. It's, it's well done, but yeah. And and also establishing Moses as an empathetic character uh, very early on draws you in to really focus on both characters or actually every human in this movie through Moses's lens as an, you know, empathetic person. Right. So one thing we haven't really talked about that much in this sequence is, was it Zephora, Zephira? Zipporah. Zipporah. There yeah. we go. And another thing that I feel like you don't see in Disney movies too much, they're like, here's your slave wife. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> I know. That's, I was, that's pretty bold. <laughs> yep. And uh, they have that scene. I think this is before Moses has his, his epiphany. But yeah. uh, he kind of like drops her into the water and, you know... It mm-hmm. all comes back around, obviously, later, because she ends up helping him get out of the water later. Yeah. Which is what uh, Moses means, drawn from the water. Yep. Yeah, and, and we'll get to her a little more 
later as well. Uh, one more slight criticism, and as much as I'm I'm behind this Moses character, right? I would have liked to see maybe a side of that empathetic, or no, you know, never what, never mind. I take it back. He is he's still in he still shows empathy towards his brother. Yeah. I, I was I, gonna no, I was go gonna ahead. say something about his transition, his sudden transition to feeling really bad about his life. Yeah, uh, th- being maybe a little too abrupt, but. You do see little signs here and there. I think there's a misstep, in my opinion, and I get the direction they were coming from, but I want to get everyone's opinion here of the dream sequence with the the hieroglyphic style. Um, Right. I get the direction, and it was creative. I thought it took you out of the flow of things, though, and so I think that's what it leaves what Reese just expressed, this kind of a disjointedness. Like I I appreciate what they were trying to go for, but it didn't work for me i really yeah i really like the ambition of that dream sequence i i i don't think it completely holds up and i think if Mm. they had just refined it slightly yeah and it it could have really worked but yeah the 3d animation just wasn't quite there yet that's that's you mean the the beveling that they did that was that was 3d work i thought some of it is yeah but it's like a mix of 2d and 3d Uh, that scene had a lot of 3d in it. it i think it was supposed to highlight the tension and the internal turmoil, like it's a fever dream for Moses. And right. he's fighting all this stuff subconsciously, but it was too animated, too cartoonish. And so it took away from the message it was trying to develop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I did like, I, li- I think it was still very impactful and I really liked it, but you're right. It, it, it just slightly pulls you out. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what you're drawing on though, Reese, and it's, I don't think it's so much, Moses, the character, having a problem with empathy, but or them showing his empathy. I think it's honestly, uh, I have a little bit of an issue with uh, Miriam and Aaron. I don't think they're in this enough. No, I Uh, I agree. Aaron's character is a complete miss. Right. Yeah, and and that's that's one of my big criticisms of this is Aaron could have been so much more helpful but they decide to kind of push that character off to the side mm-hmm. as just combative and um i think that's the issue i think moses is is pretty much perfect the way he is and it's a lot of the the, the people that are supposed to be his siblings he's reunited with aren't really fleshed out enough for me mm. so uh, no i i'd, I'd agree with you well, and also, Aaron had a lot more involvement in the actual Bible, you know, book, where he was there with Moses. He the was the Bible one with the staff book. that turned into the snake. He was yeah. the one standing in the water that turned to blood. Well, so he, he had a lot more impact. Yeah, he also spoke. He was the mouthpiece for Moses who had trouble speaking publicly. Um, right. So Aaron was the one that spoke for him because he could be that intermediary. Yeah. So that's, mm. I think, yeah, like, that might be the biggest th- different from the Bible. I think I understand the reason, though. And since this is, it's, the focus is Moses, and they're trying to tell a story through him. Sure. But I would have liked to have at least Aaron be a significant supporting character, mm. where both he and Miriam are probably the only two that are on his side. Whereas Aaron just kind of seems like thrown in there to be mad and then, I don't know, just Placate happy. Miriam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Miriam is, like, all all she is is, I, I like Miriam, but. Simplistic a, hope. She's a little simple. Yeah. yeah. she She's just, 
oh, I just, I just believe you will help us. And she'll show up to like put her hand on his shoulder every now and then. deliver us. I got more support from his mother or uh, adoptive mother than I did from those that were actually his family right. or so supposed Helen to be. Mirren. Especially since so her I, lullaby was what shocked him into remembering. Exactly. But exactly. a comment I, I, on Aaron real quick is he could have been, you know, the second half of the movie uh, parallel to a new brother figure for his new life right. compared to Ramesses, you know, his old brother. And then that right. establishes more tension. So that was a missed opportunity there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Moses kills a guy. Oh. <laughs> Good, <laughs> segue. Good segue. Good yeah. Uh, no, do y'all have any other thoughts no, on no, that? No, no, no. Go ahead. I, just, yeah. I was just going to move the story along. Yeah. Because I, I agree with what y'all right. are saying. Please do. Uh, yeah, so Moses kills a uh, guard or a soldier who is whipping uh, some slaves. It mm-hmm. knocks him off some scaffolding. It's not like an intentional, like, oh, I got to kill this guy. It was more just right. like, real I life want- it was very yeah. much, I need to kill this guy. No, it was more, I, I need to stop him from hurting these slaves because now I recognize this is bad. Right. Yeah. And uh, then he just decides to flee the city. He has one final, like, uh, meet up or not meet up or uh, Ramsey's kind of runs up to him and tries to tries to make him stay he says some things like oh we can smooth this over we can yeah you know you never what what man you didn't murder that guy don't worry yeah. we, we can erase I'm the this. morning in the evening star I will make it as if it never happened yeah <laughs> and then we get to one of the coolest sequences in at least this section of the story where uh, Moses kind of sheds his identity in the mm-hmm. desert he like rips off all of his clothing, takes off the wig that he's mm. wearing, and then just accepts death as a sandstorm yeah. comes. Yeah. Except the only thing he didn't take off was his ring. Yeah, he was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. hold on to that one connection with my brother Ramses because oh, so sad. he's the, he saw good in him and he's like yeah. he's he's he my brother. Mm. Yeah, and I think there actually, at least in this story, there is good in Ramses. He's right. just Mis, uh, severely misguided. Well, also uh, very much stuck in the fact that he doesn't want to be the one that breaks the dynasty yeah. mm-hmm. that, that that's been really sold to him from his father. Yeah, before. And yeah. what but, really sucks about that is that he has that issue because his father was yeah. so yeah, terrible, almost set up for failure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I, I really think this is a cool way to do a rebirth of a character where oh, yeah. it's like. He he shed his identity, as I said, and basically died and came and was born again as the other, you know, Moses. Moses. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's kind of off to the races. And right. you're it's almost like just a complete flipped switch of character. But you kind of I'm I'm in for it. I, like, I believe it. it. It's not just it didn't feel like they cheated me. And it was like this completely different guy like right, I, I believe right. that it was still the same character somehow even though they look and act completely different right uh i just thought it worked yeah i i agree i think it did really work and i know someone raised concerns about how it seemed like it was a really quick switch for whenever he you know pushed the guy off the edge yeah but uh i kind of understand that it's like a for him it's kind of a crisis because now he remembers this and he's actually not a bad person at this point he's Mm -hmm. been raised in such a way that he had seen slaves as lesser but uh once he remembers that or the the lullaby brings him back that it's his lineage it probably and or in my eyes it seemed like it was like casting a light on like Mm -hmm. whoa this is pretty much me and then he's thinking of probably all the things that he's done yeah 
Well, when he first hears that lullaby, I, I think it is it is just like this moment where he, he suddenly a part of his mind is unlocked. Yeah, it's like, like I'm just gonna say, there's a part earlier in the movie, and I didn't notice it till like the second or third time watching it. He's humming that lullaby. Yeah, like he, it's in his brain. It's like an. No, uh, when like he's a worm. talking to Ramses, he's humming it. Yeah, yeah. Notice that. Yeah. That's that is that's really cool. That's just another so it's something layer when he recognizes it. It's like something that's been stuck with him his whole life. He doesn't really know right. why. Yeah. And there was something else y'all brought up about. I don't know. Some of these moments just not feeling fully fleshed out, like with uh. Jeff Goldblum's character, who is Aaron. 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 Mm. And I, I was just going to comment on the way this movie tells its story. It It is not as much on a micro level. It's more on a macro level. Yeah. Right. Where it's like none of these micro moments are fleshed out to the to the degree that they could be. But the 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 scope of the story is really well realized and, and mm. it's a massive scope. Right. And I feel like when you look at the overall breadth of the work yeah. in this movie, it is, it is accomplishing. It's the emotional beats that it's trying to hit. Like right. it's, it's, yeah. it's nailing them. Even though when you look on a, on a smaller level, those single moments aren't quite as satisfying as you'd want them to be. Right. I don't know if y'all agree. I'm curious I totally agree. If that's going back to their disclaimer at the beginning is they're trying to avoid offending people by putting some inaccurate detail in there. So right. if they skim Maybe. over the surface of that, then they're kind of dancing around that line. I, I agree. I do think that some of these are more simple, but how could they have captured the weight of this? And I, I think weight is the right word. The impact mm-hmm. uh, it's, no, I, I do think they capture the impact. No, I know, but but I'm asking, what do you think it is that is doing that when some of this seems more surface level? It's just the... I think the themes of this movie are very strong, and right. they're consistent throughout. Like, multiple characters in this movie serve the same purpose to reinforce the central theme and the central character of yeah. this movie. Yep. Like, it's it's... It's not just one moment doing all the lifting for this mo- movie. It's all of these, indiv- all of these mm. parts coming together to yeah. form a, you know, a, a very strong whole. Right. Whereas when you actually just look at one point of this movie and analyze it alone, it's not that strong. I, I yeah, I agree. I just think that there there are times where it's like even in art where, you know, you don't need something with a ton of detail to be super impactful. And I think. In this movie, they take scenes that, you know, I think, Irene, you were saying it before when they when he meets, you know, or talks to God that first time. It's such a simple scene that has more weight than many movies you could look at. Yeah. And I, I think mean, it all comes together with the music, the art style, the way that they were trying to p- portray the scene. It, it all hits and creates this weight that's way more than you ever could have expected in such a, yeah. a story like this. I'm yeah. curious, and this just kind of occurred to me. Reese, yeah. have you seen the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston? I actually haven't. It's one of my uh, huge uh, oh, oversights. Okay. oversights. Well, that yeah. shoots that theory out of the water. I was going to say, if we're subconsciously comparing that to you know the Cecil B. DeMille epic in all of its runtime, like where everything does have that detail, intimacy, every scene, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about the drama uh, and mm-hmm. you know, the performance aspect of it, um, and that just stretches on and on and on. We're automatically reflecting on that, and then this, by comparison, seems like it's just a short runtime skimming the surface. But if you haven't seen that, then 
Okay. Yeah. Like that I is an animated movie's trouble, you know, taking something complex and then yeah. cramming it into but an hour and a half. I think that what they're able to do is you can kind of just read the nuance, you know, like he he doesn't know Zipporah very long by our terms, but we do feel that connection and we believe it. And mm. during the whole montage, like we haven't even gotten here yet. Yeah, we? we should probably move on. Yeah, sorry, mm. never mind. I don't. So I don't he was cut in the off. desert, right? Yes. Okay. So, so it ends at the sandstorm. sandstorm. Gotcha. Like, that's where gotcha. we're at. I didn't okay. mean to cut you off. No, 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 no. I, I cut myself off because I realized we weren't there yet. But yeah, let, let's get on to that next section and we can get into all that with the Zipporah. All right. Arriving at an oasis, Moses defends three young girls from brigands, only to find out their older sister is Zipporah. Moses is welcomed by Jethro, Zipporah's father and the high priest of Midian. Over time, Moses becomes a shepherd, falls in love with Zipporah, and marries her. One day, while chasing a stray lamb, Moses discovers a burning, a burning bush, through which God tells him to return to Egypt and guide the Hebrews to freedom. God bestows Moses' shepherding staff with his power and promises that he will tell Moses what to say. When Moses tells Zipporah of his task, she decides to join him. Yeah. Lots of interesting things going on here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's talk about Zipporah real quick. Irina, you had a couple of words on Zipporah? Well, her in relation to the whole uh, macro versus micro argument. And I think they do handle these micro situations, but through a lot of visual details. And they cleverly are able to wrap that up in a short amount of time where it doesn't feel too rushed to me. Yeah, and, and it I've, still felt heartfelt yeah. and sincere. And I believe the connection between the two of them, but you still understand there's a greater purpose at work here. Yeah. So I I think they are able to do it. And that's why I'm going back to the whole Aaron thing. I'm a little disappointed that they you have that right there. Like the... Mm -hmm. the reference of like oh adopted brother versus biological brother and yeah. then that transfer from one life to another it was right there like even in the bible he's more involved in moses life than it's portrayed here so yeah, kind of i don't know the ball there a it, it bit. just that's the only problem i have but other than that i i think they are able to convey meaningful connections between characters without showing you all that much. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other thoughts on Zipporah and the execution of that character? It was by uh, she, Michelle Pfeiffer did the voice yes. for her, by the way. And yeah. I, I think she does an excellent job. Yeah, she, she, I think she does a great job. I actually didn't hear Michelle Pfeiffer in her yeah. performance, which is pretty exceptional, mm. but <laughs> well, her voice is iconic for some, but for me, not so much. Like I, I just don't have a specific thing in my brain for her, but after hearing her in this movie, and I'm just going to say, I also watched Sinbad, and she's also in that. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't realize that was her in the beginning. She sells it, like, yeah. both nice. times. I'm just going to say. Yeah, good. I like voice actors who don't sound like their live-action counterparts. Right. I want them to mask that. I, I don't want to hear Jeff Goldblum <laughs> through this character. I don't think I'll, he can help that. I know, but... It, Unless you have a very specific type of character that is actually Jeff Goldblum-esque. Yeah. I don't want to hear Jeff Goldblum come out of a character's <laughs> mouth. Like wait, that, wait, wait. What about Genie and Robin Williams? That works. But they, that's the Robin Williams. The movie was written for him, though. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever. Genie right. feel is like an embodiment of Robin Williams. They, yeah. 
they both share. Aaron was not written for Jeff Goldblum. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Jethro, I love this guy, and I love his song. One of my favorites. uh, I think it's Seeing Life Through Heaven's Heaven's Eyes. Eyes. It's Heaven's Eyes, yeah. Also another contender for the best song in this movie. It it kind of almost got me emotional just watching this whole, you know, I guess it's a montage throughout this musical number, but... uh. Perfectly mm. executed. I think this song, just like uh, the first song in this film, could stand up to most Disney yeah. Yeah. films. Uh, like I, I just think it, it's up there. Well, it also has more weight than I feel like a lot of Disney songs have. And, I mean, being 100% real right now, I was listening to the soundtrack a lot this week. Mm-hmm. I was driving to run something, you know, get, get something from the store, and I was listening to that song. And, you know, feeling kind of down about myself a little bit. And hearing that song, I was like, you know what? I think there's a line he said something along the lines of like, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, where you are, you could lose literally everything. And that could just be the start of your new beginning or something like that. And I was like, you know what? If I ever get that low, that could be the thing I need to hear. I don't know. Yeah. It, it brought it's my a, spirits up. Yeah, it, it did it, its job as. as yeah, a, it went as, it went the extra mile that normal songs don't do in Disney. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I've had a, a moment of clarity from a Disney song before. Yeah, it's a tentpole song in this movie and it delivers where it's yeah. like th- this movie has three tentpole songs, which I think is kind of like the Disney rule. Right. Uh, where it's just you got to have three memorable songs. Three in your really movie. strong ones. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think this one accomplishes that. Yeah. So it's it's pulling its weight and it is a hopeful, optimistic song. Even if you didn't know the lyrics, it's one of those right. songs that just kind of taps into an emotion, right? And it makes you it makes you feel something yeah. because the message is clear regardless of what you believe in. Not to not to mention, I love their incorporation of a a cultural theme into their music. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas a, a lot of a lot of the time, while I love um, Disney's music, they become a little too contemporary. Oh yeah, and sort of uh, fudge a lot of the cultural appeal of Frozen. whatever film <coughs> they've Frozen. made. Exactly what I was thinking. And that's that's fine. Like some movies are fine like that, but I to add to the seriousness of this movie, I think it was a very good idea to have those uh musical themes where it actually envelops you and has you kind of sink into the world more than take mm-hmm. you out of it so uh then we have moses being kind of called to this cave and he comes upon the burning bush and speaks to god mm. uh how do we feel about this scene yes 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 a hundred percent yes i th- this is one of those things that happened to me when i was a kid where i would watch i don't know uh, as growing up christian there would be people that would put on religious uh work or whatever and anytime there was a representation of the voice of god i always kind of cringed in my seat because it sounded so affected like they, yeah. they and always their idea of it was that it was this big booming commanding voice that yeah. just very low yeah and always very low super masculine yeah like... and i get it it's a tall order how do you do the voice of god but uh it it's just i've it's always rubbed me the wrong way but I actually didn't mind it in this representation. I anticipated not liking it. Yeah, well, what what was <laughs> smart about it is it's this it's a calming voice almost. It's commanding but it's calming. Yeah. It's it's kind of how you imagine a higher power would actually sound yeah. if they were a benevolent god. 
they they nailed it. Yeah. And it, I if I understand how they put this together, it was actually all the members of the cast yeah. kind of in the background doing the voice, and then Ooh. Val Kilmer Val Kilmer himself being mm. the dominant voice yep. in the chorus. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, and I I do think it works. That's good. I think uh, it's an intelligent choice to have the voice actor doing Moses do the voice of God because there's. There's always this ambiguous nature about like, is it actually a voice you're hearing or is it kind of inside you? Yeah. Or so it would make sense God, to kind of like God is speaking through him yeah, in a God's way. God's voice has yeah. to be personal to exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So they, that it makes sense. They took some, um, I guess, inspiration from Charlton Heston did the same thing. He was the voice of right. God in the Ten Commandments as well. Mm. Yeah. I, I kind but, of missed a little bit of depth and gra- the, the gravitas that. I guess can be overdone, but right. Uh, I don't know. It's personal well, preference. I don't I mean, know. There's yeah. something about the small details in that scene that sold it to me. Maybe the the simplicity of it helped in a way, I guess. But the the part where he's the calm and soft God voice into the booming commanding voice, where he takes his shoes off and you can see the waves floating around his feet, it. I don't know. It was very impactful to me. And also the fact that they always describe it as a burning bush. Mm. Um, I feel like what, like almost all the time you see fire in that kind of scenario because burning yeah. bush, why wouldn't you think that? Mm. But in this, it's they took a little more creative liberty. Mm. Yeah. It's almost like an ethereal fire, a bluish, shimmering. Right. shimmering fire. And imagine in a situation where God is talking to you through a burning bush like that. I mean, if you don't have anything else to describe what you're seeing there, how else would you describe it other than burning? You know, like I can totally see something yeah. like that happening and his way of kind of like tentatively putting his staff in it, seeing it kind of like burn for a little bit and then kind of disappear. Right. Um, I don't know. I thought that was really, really clever. And yeah. Peyote, hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they did model a lot of this after the uh, deserts here in uh, Death Valley. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I agree with all that. Mm. So then he is given a task to free this or god just tells him you need to go back and i will tell you what you need to do and yeah uh he and moses takes that on faith and right. then uh, zipporah decides to join him so, so this is the this is what uh aj was talking about as far as aaron's role in this where mm-hmm. moses did not want to be the voice of yeah. You know, so he would have, yeah. In yeah. in the original text, he he's more confrontational about doing this, right, right. But yeah. um, I think what AJ was saying was Aaron does all of the talking, but so they both went to Egypt together to free the people. I essentially, I guess it would have taken a little more work to have Aaron going along with him on this. This journey, I guess, is yeah. that is well, that what a, would, I think it takes impact away from Moses. They wanted this to be about Moses, hundred yeah, percent about Moses. He's supposed to be on this kind of soul searching journey, yeah. and when you have another companion, well, imagine yeah. if Aaron was the one talking to you know um, everyone in Egypt and to uh, Hotep and Hoy, whatever in that song, or imagine him stepping in the water yeah. and do it. it just loses impact. I think, impact, I think right maybe well, they tried to make. Sup- Zipporah that supporting role instead. Yeah, but that, that's, yeah. You're, that's a good point, and I think you're right there. But now, on the flip side, imagine um, Moses goes back to Egypt, is welcomed by his uh, old brother Ramses, and Aaron is next to him. 
And then you have that tension, you know, again, with the, the parallel of the new brother versus the old brother. Right, um, right. So, th- I don't know. I think they they could have definitely stepped up and done some yeah. more in that department. Um, or... While still focusing on yeah. Moses himself and his development, you still have the relationship aspect of everything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I think... Um, I really like the relationship between him and Zipporah. Like, there isn't... Like I said, you aren't really given that much time, but you still feel like the the weight of time they've spent together. Mm-hmm. Like it 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 just clicks. Like they work for the relationship as opposed yeah. to, I guess you know, traditionally, like he is given or she, excuse me, support is given to Moses by the father. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. I mean, that modernizes this, and you know, we're on board with that. The relationship, the growth, right. because they originally butted heads. You know, she's got a right. strong spirit of her own. But she is also supportive, so that that works. Right. Yeah. I, I maybe could have used a little bit more of him and Zipporah on, upon reflection. Like, maybe just one more scene with them, just kind of a heart-to-heart that's not her just being kind of in the background supporting him. Right. This uh, might be why it's hard to balance this movie, because you're trying to focus on Moses... Usually you, you want to focus on the wife when there is a wife building moment, which this has. Yeah. But also we're wife we're building moment. <laughs> we're arguing that uh we want to have his brother more impactful in this movie. Think about trying to do both of those things. Yeah, it's a lot. And I think they did find a middle ground by kind of almost subduing them both in their own ways. Um I do think Aaron could have used a little bit more, but it's it's really hard to do that balance in yeah. what they were doing. Yeah. Uh let's move on with that story. Arriving in Egypt, Moses is happily greeted by Ramses, who is now Pharaoh with a wife and son. Moses requests the Hebrews' release and transforms his staff into a snake to demonstrate God's power. Hotep and Hoy deceptively recreate this transformation, only to have their snakes eaten by Moses's. Not wanting to have his actions cause the empire's collapse, Ramses hardens and doubles the Hebrews' workload. The Hebrews, including Aaron, blame Moses for their increased workload, disheartening Moses. However, Miriam inspires Moses to persevere. Moses casts the first of the ten plagues of Egypt, turning the water of the Nile into blood, but Ramses remains unmoved. Moses inflicts eight more plagues onto Egypt, but still Ramses refuses to relent, vowing never to release the Hebrews. Disheartened, Moses prepares the Hebrews for the tenth plague, instructing them to sacrifice a lamb and mark their doorposts with its blood. That night, the final plague kills all the firstborn children of Egypt, including Ramses' son, while sparing those of the Hebrews. Grief-stricken, Ramses gives the Hebrews a permission to leave. After leaving the palace, Moses collapses in grief at the pain he, ca- he has caused his brother and Egypt. Again, I say, this is not a Disney movie. I have seven words for you. <laughs> You're playing with the big boys now. That's my least favorite song in the movie. I don't hate it, but yeah, it's not great. I, no, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, Martin Squared was okay, but... Martin squared. <laughs> yeah, then the whole cobra scene or the you know the snake the, the Moses's staff um his snake devouring theirs like kind of hidden yeah. in the background was I don't know that defeated the purpose of you know the display of power and yeah, dominance right. and, and stuff and also I thought the this song was setting up to be like oh this is gonna be the great villain yeah. song of this movie yeah, like Cause, scars yeah because they're song. listing off the gods of Egypt yeah. and and then then it just kind of like it's just them oh. like waving their hands around going and then big boys just for some yeah. reason the the use of the word big boys 
pulled me out yeah. of the movie a little bit. No, I get it. Because yeah. even though it is an animated movie and it's it's you know some of the things about it are contemporary, yeah. it's still pretty like beholden to more traditional you know, interpretations of the text. Yeah. Whereas in this scene, it just completely kind of broke the fourth wall, and and this seemed like an Aladdin number to yeah. me. Yeah. Whereas just like it's kind of ripped from that. Whatever. I, I will say as a child, I, I remember this song specifically out of all of the songs. And maybe it was more intended to go for a younger audience versus the other ones. But that was my favorite song as a kid when I saw this movie. <clears throat> I think that yeah. it, it was fun. And also... This was your favorite. It was as a, as a child. That explains a lot. <laughs> I'm just going to say, rewatching it, it doesn't have that same weight. And I kind of cringe because I was like, oh, this is my favorite yeah. song. Because um, Big Boys is weird when you hear it as an adult. But <laughs> as a kid, it, it held a lot more weight. I thought that it was a very intense scene as a, as a child. And I wonder if other children watching this had that same effect. Watching it as an adult yeah. is just different. I think I, it's a levity point where everything's heavy mm, throughout the whole movie. And then they kind of have to reel it in a little bit. Possibly. Right. It's weird to do that during when you're trying to establish yes. the, the villains of the story. You I have agree. your levity yeah. elsewhere. I uh, I don't know. I, I don't think in this one it's meant to be like a like these are the villains because the story's a little more complicated than like this is the clear cut villain. This is the Yeah. This is the bad guy. It's yeah. supposed to make you think about like, well, this was once his brother. Yeah. I but I w- I will say in that line of thought, it him coming back to see his brother is really cool because you see how mm. much Ramsey's changed from who he was in the beginning. And he's, right. Oh, all that stuff is done very well. Uh, I think that's done fine. I'm just talking yeah. about the music musical number yeah. specifically. Okay. Well, yeah, I I, I get that. It's well, they weren't trying to progress. You're right. They weren't trying to progress the villain in that scene at all. I don't mm. think... I think it was supposed to show their faith in their gods and then showing right. you that it's fake. Well, this is this is something that does happen, happen, wow, <laughs> happen in biblical stories where there's that moment where uh, the prophet or the saint comes to, you know, whoever's in authority says, my God is uh, the one I follow or whatever. And then they have their display of power, quote yep. unquote power. And in this, I think it was trying to convey that Smoke and mirrors. They basically, yeah, smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. They basically use magic tricks to have their people believe they have the power of the gods, essentially. Yeah. Well, and but at the same time, you cast comedians as the priests, so you don't really. I I'm a little confused yeah. about what they're supposed to be doing in the movie. Like, what is their purpose here? You're right. So It's inconsistent. And, like, the message is clear. Like, the smoke and mirrors bit, I think we're all on the same page. Like, we get the message. It's just the delivery was disjointed and didn't flow well. Right. It's, um, It's because of the times that we've said we would have liked to spend with either Aaron or Zipporah, this scene felt, while while I do think there's something necessary there, the display of power, I don't think it needed to be a musical number. Mm-hmm. If it w- were, then maybe something that were that was a little more effective and furthered the story. Yeah. All the other songs further the story. They have a purpose there, but that one doesn't exactly fit the same... Um, 
efficient use of time. Yeah, the, exactly. And it doesn't. Cre- well, I guess it does. It has. It creates a weight in a way, but it not the same as the rest of the movie. Right. <clears throat> I still really like it. I like how it explains the fact that you their their whole faith is you know based on smoke and mirrors, mm. but also Hotep and Hoy. Are very much like pain and panic from Hercules. I like that's they what. Are. Like, the more I think yeah. about it, I just it kind of dawned Reporting on me. Reporting for duty. I, yeah. I don't like them. Two thumbs so, way way and down. This was Steve Martin and Martin Short. Yeah. yeah. It, like another like needless casting of huge I, names. I think to an, say that another yeah. thing I was missing from this part, and I get that we just need to move on, but um, uh, there could have at least been some mention about the death or passing of Seti and the mother. Yeah, like, they kind of bypassed that. no mention whatsoever. Yeah. He's been gone for years. I was like, where'd they go? Yeah, they just disappear. Okay. And that's not a problem. They can disappear, yeah, but you die, could dude. just, like, in their in their heart-to-heart, just incorporate, like, well, since, you know, mother and father have died, like, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you, you can alone. even well, use that as a passing sentence. Another thing, though, I don't think it's entirely necessary for them to acknowledge that, mm-hmm. because... Uh, Ramses has become like the the merging of the two of them, yeah. where it's like he kind of takes on that role of like, right. oh, he's like his father and his mother, where there is that side of him that is empathetic still, right. but he's becoming more kind of shrouded in, yeah. you know, what his father wanted him to be. Yeah. Well, and that ties perfectly into the next scene we've already talked about, where when Moses comes back to Egypt and confronts him, and we we have the plagues getting ready to, to yeah. kick in. I, I do want to talk about the the kind of, it's not exactly a heart-to-heart, I guess it kind of is, between mm-hmm. Moses that's and Ramses. That's exactly the point I was talking about, okay. because mm. it shows that empathetic side of him, and then it's, and you see that other side of him come back yeah. and well, take over. It's complicated when yeah. his son enters the situation, mm-hmm. where it's like, Dang they're, it. they're kind of reminiscing on things, and then... His son walks in on it, and his son is saying, like, hey, is that the guy who, you know, made all this stuff happen? Isn't that the man who did all this? Yeah, and then it's... Worst yeah. child actor. No, he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. Is this the man that did all this? That's what he sounded like to me. But, but at it, the same time, I, in my opinion, the plagues, the bulk of the plagues were kind of... I know there's a time constraint, but they were underwhelming... As Boo! Well. Disagree. <laughs> I I think they did the 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 blood in the water plague I, really well. The blood and water but the other ones, yeah. yeah, the other ones they kind of just kind of glossed over. That's that's actually one of my like main things. I was kind of like, oh, well, um, that could have been a budget thing too, where yeah. it's like we yeah. got to we we'll show a couple of the good ones, but really what we want to show is the fire tornado yeah. and the splitting of the waters. Right, they, they I, hit I it was, where they needed to, but yeah. At the same time, leading up to the fire tornado. You have Ramses, you know, continually or more increasingly getting agitated and mm. going insane with whatever revenge or whatever, you know, emotional break that he's got that he releases the Hebrews. Right. But then he, mm-hmm. you know, goes back on himself. Like, I think that's the plagues are that build up to where we see him welcoming Moses back, being friendly with him to suddenly going to destroy everybody. Like, there needs to be right. some kind of continuity between those conflict, conflicting points. And that's right, where those yeah. plagues kind of gradually build up the tension, which Irina said, you know, the time spending with Martin Squared could have been spent doing that. 
I, I just felt like it could have been more somber. Mm. Yeah. Man, everything um, you guys are saying is like the exact opposite of how I feel about this very passionately. <laughs> I'm on the, no, I'm actually on the middle ground. I don't think the song hurts or helps the movie. Mm. I think yeah. it's just, it's if, kind if of If you're not there. with me, you're against it me. It could have emphasized, okay. we have a glimmer of what I was trying to get up to with, you know, the change in Ramsey's character because I, I guess I'll, I'll uh, jump the gun here. Like the title, Prince of Egypt, I think it should be about who is the Prince of Egypt? Is it Ramesses or is it Moses? Right. Uh, but, you know, we didn't get fully that far. And that's just a personal take anyway. But yeah. on the boat with the, the river turning to blood, we have that glimmer of doubt um, with yeah. you see Ramesses freaking out. It's like, okay, now what's is this real? What's going on? And then we have the two comedians kind of, re, you know, pull the vial out of the sleeve and, and trick him. And then you see the reassurance on his face, like I wanted more of that, like yeah. evolution on, on Ramesses' part. So, such a good moment. Yeah, mm. and and instead we got this the the song that just kind of didn't really highlight or further the the trials of the plagues. So yeah, mm. I don't well, know. what it did I, was further the trials of their relationship, and I that's what I really got to me was that. They both wanted it to be like it was, and it couldn't be. You know, I once called you brother. You know, they they go back on how yeah you knew basically you betrayed me. You and were you're my watching, brother, Moses. You're watching fire rain down from the sky in some of the most beautiful, chaotic, sublime scenes in the movie. And the the music is slightly more contemporary, I would argue, but it's still it's heavy. Yeah, and I I don't know. I think they sold that whole villain aspect in this moment because that was the moment where Ramses either turns and joins his side or or completely abandons yeah. him. And You're when right. it kills, I don't know when it when it gets to the finals. Hey, yeah, yeah. Let let me. I think for for whatever <laughs> problems we have with the plagues, which I think it's hit or miss. Some of the some of it's good, some of it's bad, and whatever our feelings are on the the song, the plagues song. Uh, which I'm in the middle of the road in, I think this portion of the story is punctuated by the 10th mm -hmm. plague perfectly, mm -hmm. oh, which yeah. I think it's nailed 100%. Oh, like, yeah. This is like, the, it's it's one moment in the movie where it just, it cuts to complete silence. Oh, gosh. All this is hear, the PG-13 moment. No, all you hear is the whispering death like in the night. Yeah. And this, okay, okay. Like, that's, that's God you're talking about. Yeah. No, but it's this ominous... Like just white light. Well, it is. It's the angel of death yeah, that it, comes, and yeah. it's taking all of the children, the firstborn children who don't have, you know, blood or Egyptian children who don't have blood on the doors, on the mantle, on the mantle. The there post. you go. The, the lintel. lintel. This scene, post, I was just like, whoa! This yeah. is in a animated movie for kids. That's what I'm yeah. saying. And this like, is like a PG-13 okay. moment. So and you do feel Moses' pain in, in the conflict yeah. as well. Yes. Yeah. Mm. The, especially the, 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 the scene that actually really got me was the the white light going into that one door as the kids carrying the yep. the jar or the vase. The amphora or something. Whatever it is, into the door and then you, it comes in after them and then you see it, you hear the glass br or the uh, the pottery Ceramic, break yeah. and then the hand in the door. Yeah. Oh, that's just so like, sad. So like, wow. Visually, <laughs> this is one of the strongest parts of the movie for me and I think it's just how... The, they use that tracking of the light mm -hmm. as it's passing through. 
and just looking at all the silhouettes of the houses and yes. the darkened doors it's and ha- windows. It's haunting. And mm-hmm. the way the light passes over and the shadow shifts from, you know, right to left. And mm-hmm. oh, it's just Not so visually mention. enthralling. And I love when movies and directors and creators in general decide that, okay, sometimes less is more, you mm-hmm. know, and they they reel in the music like we don't need music to highlight this moment this is a very serious somber mm. moment it needs silence it is a ballsy move on dreamworks's part to just have a, a sequence like this exactly. this is something i guarantee you in the in the years where, where disney was was uh, operating during this time they would not have approved a scene like they would this. Yeah. They touched it, it wouldn't have happened. put full well, there's and, a and reason the why is, this is <laughs> i'm not saying Di- i'm not saying disney is never dark it even in this era, you had things like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, yeah, which had moments like there's a Hellfire yeah. song in that. But I still don't think it's on the level of yeah. this well, the, film. That was Disney, also ruined by a, a too goofy sidekick character. Yeah, yeah. I think a uh, Disney does get away with a lot of dark stuff, but they hide it behind oh these are just animals or you know like it's not Kinda like Scar. And it's his not. Song hugely relatable to children they kind of are able to distance themselves from the events it's not until we're older that we look back and realize oh that was actually um someone just died (laughs) yeah i and uh just gonna go back real quick i really like everything that happened i just wanted more of it like i wanted the impact of each of the individual plagues to hit a little harder this is actually something you're you're reminding me something I had um, thought to myself while I was trying to uh, come up with my criticisms because it it you always know when there's something missing from a movie mm-hmm. but you can't quite pinpoint what and um, something that does happen in Exodus is that there were those that begged Pharaoh to let them go to make it stop you know mm. like there were i would love to see a little bit of that pushback at yeah. least you know because then that solidifies the fact that pharaoh in his stubbornness and pride is even ignoring the cries of his own people like they're he's resisting their desires yeah. because he will not be you know Dissuaded. overcome yeah. by their yeah. god but that- yeah that goes back to the beginning where you have the privilege, like he's just out of touch with the actual mm-hmm. goings on of society because right. he's on his throne room. Now we do get the brilliant scene of, you know, the return of Moses's ring. And that, I mean, that was a beautiful scene as well because oh, Ramses yeah. takes that and you see everything going across his face, the pain, and then he snaps his eyes open. And because he had taken his headdress off to be, you know, on right. an intimate level with Moses, and then he puts the headdress on, and then you have the, again, the silhouette that I called yeah. back earlier against, you know, his father's, you know, monument. So right. there's stuff that's really well done. It's just there could have been opportunity for more, like if the people yeah. were crying against that, yeah. that still strengthens and fleshes out the conflict, um, but right. they chose to focus on other things. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the... The, the thing is, when you have a movie that has that much intelligence, it's almost you have to crack down harder on the criticisms that because missed, you yeah. know they can do it. Like, yep. you see it. They have that ability. Yeah. I um, ju- Just to uh, clarify once more, I, I think that 
even in the weakest moments of this movie, it's still better than so many other movies. Well said. Like, yeah, I agree. Like, so we can criticize certain aspects just because we see the potential in it being even more effective. Yeah. But uh, but what it does accomplish. Yeah. But what it does amazing. accomplish, yeah, leagues above uh, almost any other anime it, movie. It, it's quite effective, really. Indeed. It is Indeed. very effective, isn't it? All right, let's, yeah. let's finish off the story. Yeah. The following morning, the Hebrews, led by Moses, Miriam, and Aaron, and Zipporah, leave Egypt. At the Red Sea, they discover that a vengeful Ramses is pursuing them with his army, intent on killing them. However, a pillar of fire blocks the army's way, while Moses uses his staff to part the sea. The Hebrews cross the open sea bottom. The fire vanishes and the army gives chase, but the sea closes over and drowns the Egyptian soldiers, sparing Ramses alone. Moses sadly bids his brother farewell and leads the Hebrews to Mount Sinai, where he receives the Ten Commandments. Man, they they saved saved the uh, the best for last, yeah. in my opinion. See, there's there's some epic stuff in this finale here. There's yeah. so many points where we can say this is the best part of the movie. I know, but this is the best part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, so they have the "When You Believe" song, which I think is another top tier song. It's one of the the three pillars in this movie of in, in terms of musical numbers. Um, I don't know what the exact significance of it is. Mm. It gets a little wonky when you try to break it down. Yeah, but so, it's a good song. I'm singing along. I I'm love like, it. This yeah. is great. And you're seeing the, the mass exodus of the Hebrews, and okay. I'm totally on board with what's happening right now. I remember watching a video where someone was um, really analyzing the, the lyrics for that song, and um, he said it really just doesn't, make a lot of sense given the direction of this film because they're essentially praising themselves for having faith and believing in themselves that everything will be better when technically they were, I don't know, praying to God to help them, and he is, but then they kind of disregard that except in the Hebrew portion. So I, my theory was that they probably didn't feel confident enough to be praising God directly in a song. You know what I mean? Especially with the source, oh, yeah. you know, everyone yeah. that's following Moses. I mean, there's there's some reluctance. There's fear. Right. Like, we should go back. We were safer. We were better off, you know, as slaves instead of out here. Exactly. And that goes further on later on. But even still, right. up to the Red Sea, like, everyone's in terror. It's not like, it's not just smooth sailing. Right. Well, so that leads to the other half of your theory, which is the fact that they wanted to still keep God in the song, right? But yeah. they used the Hebrew portion, which almost nobody knows unless you speak Hebrew, um, can actually tell. And I'm not, no, Noah, I'm not going to sing this song. <laughs> I can, I can, he's looking at me now and I'm not going to sing it. Did you I, have the translation? I, I actually do have the translation, yeah. which is what I was going to say. So they say, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Who is like you, O Lord, among the celestials. Um, in your love, you lead the people you redeemed. I will sing to the Lord for he yeah. has triumphed gloriously. And they kind of, kind of, you know, go back and forth with that. Yeah. And it's very repetitive, yeah. but it's it's so more, I, it's triumphant. See, I, I think they saved that for the Hebrew portion. And uh, my theory is that with the song, they wanted something that would be 
more digestible for a broad audience. Because if it was saying things like, you know, praise God or whatever, then, you know, anyone that doesn't believe or isn't Christian or Jewish or what have you wouldn't really be on board with that song. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be as popular as it was. Um, I That's so my theory. It, uh, they I, hit it in Hebrew. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. And I definitely think that them doing the Hebrew portion is yeah. them saying like, yeah. uh, we can't not at least include something because that is the yeah. point. And this song so. was, I I think it was inspired by, I think it's Miriam's song where it this technically happened after they passed through the Red Sea where they were, you know, giving praise to God through a song and stuff like that. But um, it, it makes sense to have it here because this is yeah. that transitioning period where Wow, we're we're finally actually able to leave. We're not enslaved anymore. Well, and that song was yeah. actually in the Bible, right? Like the song they were singing in uh, Hebrew. I, I can't remember. I, exactly. I'm pretty sure it was an probably. actual. Like, it probably was thing that was in in a part of Exodus where the children were singing that. So yeah. they took an actual song from the Bible, or you know, at least phrases, and turned it into a song. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the kind of development of Ramses into this just murderous person. Do we think that transition is smooth or is it yes. kind of abrupt? Well, I feel it's, like he, it's abrupt in the right way because his son died. Because there's a part where he's like, kill them all, which I didn't think was quite consistent mm-hmm. with how he had been portrayed before No, this. no, because he snapped. When people mm-hmm. snap, that's what happens. Well, he okay. snapped and that's what caused him to let the slaves go, which was unprecedented. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted I to see something at least in between that allows us to see why he turned back or right. give us one shot of him going nuts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can, yeah, I agree with that. I I imagine they probably did that, but took it out. Yeah. It might, could have. Well, could have. Yeah. I would agree with that. That w- I think that would make it um, a lot smoother. I'm still fine with it the way it is. Yeah, but that would help me yeah. if if they uh, threw in like a, a thirty second scene, twenty second scene where yeah. he's kind of with his wife looking yeah. over the body of his dead son mm. and was yeah. like, "No," and I, then they cut over to them chasing them. I've got to imagine like the the scenes that were kind of missing from this movie that would help it along. I'm kind of chalking it up to like the people that made this movie thinking like, "Okay, what can we?" What can we achieve with this movie? What can we cut because we have to hit a certain budget and time frame for when this movie comes right. out? Uh, there are probably scenes out there that assist in the development of these characters, but they just didn't have the uh, resources to right. make them come to life. And this movie's already actually, you know, it, it's your standard length for a animated movie. It's like an movie. hour and 40 minutes, But right? in some cases, it's a little longer. Yeah, it's like... like it's on the longer end of an animated movie. Right. Yeah, so, and I, I just want to say, I, as much as I want some of these scenes to be in here, because I think they would make the movie a, an even better product, I'm also kind of like thinking, like, oh, maybe it, it just... They had thought of it, and it yeah. was there, but they just couldn't bring it, could it, be. Yeah. bring it to the screen. I don't know. Uh, it's worth consideration. But anyway... These these final sequences here, the pillar of fire and the splitting of the seas, I think, are executed perfectly. It's it's like one of those chef's kiss moments yeah. where it's like, yeah, y'all did it. Pretty uh, fire, I remember, beautiful sea. Yeah. I remember watching this and thinking, wow, they're really close. The, uh, the Egyptians are going to catch them real quick. I don't really know what they're going to do here. Yeah. And then you see that mm. fire pillar come down uh, from the sky. So I'm like, cool. oh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's going to do it. That's going to so stop cool. them. The parting the seas sequence specifically, which I read took two years to do. Yep. For like 10 animators. They, yeah, it, works it, it was a perfect co- combination of 3D and 2D animation. Yeah, I think that is like, it really is like the set piece of the movie where it's oh, like, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. you did you did actually save the best for last. Yeah. And I only yeah. said that like five times already. It's hard not but to. But it just, it really was imagined as you would hope it would be. Right. You know, it's the it water is, shooting up into the sky. Yeah, it's, it's magnificent. Uh, so cool. it, it looks epic. It's yeah. like, yes, this is the parting of the sea that I wanted. The thing that they are able to do so well is that sense of scale. Like you can, yes. yeah. you f- feel the impact of what just happened because there is this um, sense of scale. Like you see uh, Moses there is like just a tiny little dot and mm. then the sea just parting and shooting up into kind of this uh, grand hallway of water. <laughs> like yeah. it's, Shadows it's of the sea really creatures. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. And not the, to mention the, water the music. Is, yeah, and the water is undulating too. Uh-huh. It's not like it's just yeah. static in one yeah. place. It's like it's moving. you see yeah. the rocks pe- peeking in and out. And it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so cool. And then them creating a little light trail in the mm-hmm. middle because like I, I, I love the attention to detail because they... It would be dark down there. Mm-hmm. And I there's also a scene where they have a, a donkey or a mule that they're trying to get over rocks. And they covered the donkey's eyes with uh, wow, I linen. I didn't even notice that. And yeah, because it would spook too. them to like see what's wow. happening. So it, it's just really interesting that so many people would put that much time into details like that. Yeah. yeah. You could watch it multiple times and catch something new almost every yeah. time. Yeah. 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 They have a bunch of hidden gems and symbolism and yeah and just another shout out to details. the music because the music is just so perfect yeah, for yeah we really summer. haven't talked about that enough honestly we've talked about the music no i mean i don't know there's so many moments yeah. where i think when you and i watch this race you you rank this as a uh, middle of the road disney movie sort of um score and which is also it sounds kind of weird saying it that way because it sounds more negative, but that's actually very high praise. I, I, think. I will. I'm actually retracting that because upon my second viewing of this movie, I was like, actually, no, this is like a little higher than middle a minus. tier. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because like, I, I had the same conclusion independently as yeah. well. Be, yeah. It's it's like I recognize the the greatness of these these numbers and the music and stuff like that. For some reason, I don't know if it's the lyrics or the phrasing. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just, you know, already hooked on Disney Kool-Aid because that's what I grew up on. Like, I'm expecting those, <laughs> the numbers yeah. and, and that kind of stuff and how their style is. But something about it didn't really click with me, most of the music. Yeah. Except for, like, the very intro song is what was the most powerful, in my opinion. Right, and then yeah. a couple other points, but some of the other ones yeah. didn't really click with me. And it's hard to identify what that is. And I think it's the precedent that Disney has set with their style yeah. for me personally. Exactly. I, I think Listen to that yeah, Jethro totally song that. again. It, no, it might, I, hit, that, that's, it that's, might slap. That's another one that's that's good in my book. But yeah, uh, let's talk about the final moment in this movie. You know, he gets the Ten Commandments and kind of displays instant them beard. to this. Yeah, instant mm-hmm. beard. Just this vast. Uh, he was up there for a while. This vast amount of people before him, and then it's cut to credits. Yeah, I, I felt I felt emotions. I thought it was mm. it was delivered well. I think so too. 
Although what you don't realize is that directly after this, he's going to come back down. They're going to wander in the desert for 40 years and they're going to start worshiping golden calves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I could have used a, a little life. bit more lingering on that shot and maybe the outro to the Lion King where it's kind of that gasping musical oh, yeah. crescendo. Yeah. Yep. Could have used that. That would have helped. <laughs> uh, it was a very long outro, I'm going to say, but it was they, they kind of just held the scene where I was like, did it freeze? I think they could have done a little bit more, but... Right, well... Yeah. All right. Thus concludes our covering of the story of the Prince of Egypt. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other end, we're going to review this movie, uh, and then we will talk about what critics thought, get into some box office, and then talk about this movie's franchise prospects. Welcome back. Let's talk the Prince of Egypt. Of David. Egypt. Wait. Yes, of Egypt. Wait. Uh, what? I, Did you I was watch wondering Prince when we're, of Persia? Yeah. We were talking about the sands of time and all that time travel stuff. Uh, <laughs> wow, it, you've kept up with us pretty well so far. Is this the latest reveal of what you've actually been watching? I feel like it is. <laughs> yeah, just just you know, press the palm of your dagger and go back and put it Wait. back at the end of the beginning of the episode. Also, Prince of Persia, slightly underrated Disney movie. I don't think it's that, amazing, but I think it's it's fine. It is a potential uh, franchise, yeah. so it's kind of on yes, on back burner. Is. Also, fun fact, I snuck out at like ten o'clock at night thinking. when I was in high school to go see that movie and didn't tell my parents. Anyway, I got a lot of trouble for it. Yes, oh, nice. Prince of Prince of Egypt. <laughs> Uh, Prince of Egypt. Uh, David, you've got our scores in a bowl there. You want to pull them at random? Sure. And we'll, we'll review this movie. We'll start with, uh, oh, I guess we're starting with me, which <laughs> means we're starting off strong. Reese, what do you think my score is? I'm going to guess 9.5. It's a 9.5. Dang. Yay. Yeah, honestly, this was hard. Um, my knee-jerk reaction was to give this a 10. I was very close to giving this a 10 and just like, Giving the middle finger to everybody and just play, like, you know, this is who I am. <laughs> this is who I am. I watched it multiple times this week. I did some research. There's definitely more holes in this. Um, I, I, I think the first watching of it, especially, I just it it hits the right spots for me. Uh, I did watch this as a child, so there is that nostalgia factor still. Almost all of these are for me. Um, but rewatching this as an adult, the the art style in this hits so much harder. The music hits so much harder than when I was a, a child, and I I I find that it's really hard to find fault in this movie. Yeah, there the moments that you fault are so minuscule mm -hmm. because the sheer weight of everything in this movie just pulls it along and makes it more impactful than most Disney movies. I would say, yeah, um, it's dramatic and it's. Uh, even for I would say DreamWorks, it's it in its own class because it's hard to rank an animated movie as a you know comedy or a drama, and this one is hardcore drama. There are very few animated movies that are in this camp, and I even comparing this to like El Dorado or Sinbad or what have you, it's just completely different. 
Mm-hmm. And I would put this up against any of the you know real life movies we've covered. So nine point five live action. Yeah, live action. That's the word. <laughs> um, I would put this against any of the movies we've covered so far and and stand by a nine point five. Nice. So that's where I'm at. All right. Next up, AJ with a seven point five. Nice. So you dirty dog. Yeah. So let's uh give some. My week was uh pretty hectic. I watched this movie once. Pretty tired. Um, so I was kind of shooting from the hip with this score a little bit. Um, so watching it, rewatching it now, talking about it second time, definitely all these things I've talked about were kind of in the back of my mind. And so I picked up on them before and never really just absorbed them, I guess, to appreciate them as much. Um, and I think it's also coming off of, we did watch El Dorado before this and I had so much fun with that movie. So coming to this tone, tonal shift was, it, it was Massive. Yeah, it, it was an adjustment. So I'm definitely raising the score because the art style, for sure, I mean, thematic, all the details they put on uh, portraying a lot of stuff and the whole Ramesses and Moses relationship that I haven't seen before um, was excellently done. Um, I still take a lot of issue with Aaron's character. That was a complete fail in my book. And I still think there's opportunity with the uh, music, even though the music and score was great. There's just still some unknown thing I can't put my finger on that wasn't still, like, I don't remember any of the songs. Like, I kind of get the gist of it in my head, but none of them really I can hum or, you know, sing the words like I can, you know, any Disney song. But that's also maybe because I grew up with those as a kid watching them. So coming to I've woken it as an up like adult, three days this week with these songs stuck in my yeah, head. So, so I would say it, it does it's get definitely stuck. a background thing as well. Um, and I think we talked about this recently early on in the episode with coming to what was the expectation here, not seeing this before with something that's based on, you know, religious Abrahamic religion stuff. Um, how do you score that from with your own frame and context, but also recognizing this as a movie and a story from a general audience point of view? Um, that's, that's tough. So uh, they really did a good job straddling that fence for the most part. There's some opportunity, but there are very strong points with the animation, the tone, the character building relationship, um, and given the runtime of it, they they did a great job. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say eight and a half. Um, mm. With you know, the more I watch this movie, I'm sure there's m- multiple things I will appreciate more, and probably some of those other pain points might smooth out a little bit. Um, so yeah, um, eight and a half. I think I'm I'm happy with that. Mm. All right. Next up, who's it going to be? Reese with a nine. Nice. Yeah, this, for me, this is like, it's like knowing every Disney movie that existed and suddenly someone like dusted off this old VHS <laughs> that I never knew existed. And they told me it was like, this is, hey, this is actually also a Disney movie. And then I was like, oh, no, it isn't. And, I put, <laughs> and then I put it in and it's like, Oh, what this this classic Disney movie never existed, but but here it is. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, watching this was like, I was watching this and being like, this is a Disney movie. Like this is one of their better ones. But and it it, it made sense when I realized that a lot of the animators were carried over from Disney. Katzenberg too, uh, and Katzenberg. 
but this was one a movie that I, I I was vaguely aware of, but didn't give much attention to because it was like it was DreamWorks, and I was always like DreamWorks is like the lesser Disney, which I still believe is true. There's a <sighs> there's a couple of instances where DreamWorks is able to match Disney, like in the case of How to Train Your Dragon, and kind of I guess Shrek and Kung Fu Panda and this movie, but. For the most part, DreamWorks is a competent animation studio that always feels like it's trying to just catch up to Disney and occasionally nails it, but is never able to just, they, they don't like bleed gold like Disney I would does. argue mm-hmm. How to Train Your Dragon is better than most Disney movies. I would, I know, I'd agree, and that's why I'm saying like that is like, it's top tier. <clears throat> yeah. By that They're, you mean all? Yeah, but... <laughs> I'd, I'd match it to the top Disney movies. Yeah, but Prince of Egypt is, in this series of films that we're talking about, it's going to be hard to top for me yeah. with any of the other ones that we're covering, and I know all the other ones we're covering. You and haven't seen all of them? I though? haven't seen all of them. I just doubt that there's going to be one that tops this one, because Prince of Egypt, I feel like, mostly nails everything it's going for. It's got a massive scope. It's it It's one of those few animated movies that is actually going for an epic scale, and it nails all of its themes. It, the, the character of Moses is well realized. And it just, it's, it, it honestly, the, the songs, everything, the whole production is a success in my opinion. There's certain areas where it falters in the case of characters like Aaron and other characters that I just feel like aren't developed as well as they could be. And there's a couple of songs that I don't think hit you know, the notes, ha 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 pun, uh, that they, that they were intending specifically the big boys song, which I think is just weak, but there's honestly at least two moments in this movie that almost moved me to tears just because of like the coupling of, you know, the, the song with what was happening, especially the, the Exodus moment and the, I don't know. I was I was just on board with this movie from start to finish. It it just grabbed me, and I I, I couldn't believe that I had never given this movie the the time of day. I just fe- I, I short shrifted this movie unfairly, and I'm I'm repaying oh, that. So you're giving mm-hmm. its dues now. Yeah, I, I think Prince of Egypt is kind of uh it's it's just an underlooked movie, and There's I think it so much under Disney. In it. Yeah, right. Under Disney, if if this had been. Under the Disney banner, it would have been one of their 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 heavy Premieres. hitters of this decade. Yeah, but it's not. It's under DreamWorks, and and it did well. And not to spoil the later portion of this podcast, but it's it's kind of you know it's swept under the rug like so many other movies uh, during this era of DreamWorks, like all the ones we're covering. Yeah, and I, I think that's kind of sad because I think it really does you know stand the test of time, and it stands against other films in this era. Uh, and, and it does have something to say that I think is, you know, significant. So, yeah, I stand by my nine, and there you go. <laughs> All right. I love it. Next up, Noah with a 10. Let's nice. go. Yeah. Dang, 10 I, out of, I love yeah, it. Well, I'll be honest. I do I do want to take it down just a Ow. notch. I Yeah, I... Probably you, from talking look, through just, it. Just talking. Yeah. Like, you and so I have moment. been on the same camp, Noah. I was so yeah, close to giving this a 10. I gave it the yeah. 9.5. I get it. That, that, that was me, too. I, I like I was stuck between 9.5 to 10, and I was like, oh, which one am I going to give it? I decided to be a little more optimistic. 
And I think I'm still very optimistic on this movie. Obviously, it's a 9.5. But there were some things that I can say about it that are negative. And I think a 10 is usually something I reserve for things that don't really have any negatives or like lost potential. This movie, you can kind of fault certain aspects of it. However, it is extremely ambitious uh, as far as what they achieved with the source material. And um, I just love the attention to detail. I love their the whole story they created with Ramses and Moses. I think that was a really good way to go with it. It provided a lot of emotional, well, charge, I guess you could yeah. say. For this movie, whereas most animated movies, they they'll have a little bit of drama, but it, you know it's kind of like just it it's follows like a pattern a little bit. No, that's a yeah, good way they, of putting they, it. They, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they follow a certain pattern, like most animated movies do. Like, oh, here's this. This is it's all happy at the beginning. Then it like there's a little bit of a conflict between the partner and the main character, and it resolves. But this one was a lot more serious and. The conflict made a lot of sense. And yes, it was resolved, but not in, you know, the way that you wanted it to be. But it also couldn't have happened any other way. So I think that overall, it's just amazing storytelling. And uh, the visuals and a lot of the voice acting was really good. Mm-hmm. So 9.5. All right. All right. Last one. Last up, Irina <laughs> with a 9.5. Yeah. yeah. She's going high. No, I I love this movie, and um, I think a lot of that is is credit going to just the amount of people that worked and believed in this project. There's I I can't tell you when I was watching these behind the scenes how many people just were so involved with it and you you find that in examples like uh, lord of the rings and other passion projects like that where everyone's just putting their hearts and souls into Mm. it essentially um and i can see it like there's love and care put into a lot of these scenes and characters but i think uh the other portion of why i'm rating this so high is because they they don't entirely follow the story of exodus they change things up here and there and i intelligently so in my opinion because there are certain parts that would have been too confusing to understand in a film as opposed to reading it from the bible Mm -hmm. and the way they do it is by incorporating elements that engage the viewer more as far as, you know, a whole brother issue, which adds this tension between Moses and his life, not just with riches. It's so easy in a movie to say like, oh yeah, I don't need riches. There's a better, there's a higher purpose for me, but it's so much harder to separate yourself from family or people you actually love because of your newfound standards. So I put a lot of credit into this film for finding intelligent ways to tell a story and not make it too much about God and making it in general, a more universal story by the kind of morals and teachings it's 
telling. Other than that, I have issues with Aaron and Miriam. I wish they were stronger characters in this film. I think that was a wasted opportunity. Um, they're, yeah, Big Boys, that song, it's one that I wanted it to be more than it was yeah. because the beginning was so strong. But then it really just didn't add much at all, yeah. except that Hotep and Hoy are characters I still don't care about. It just sets them up <laughs> as like, like these deceptive, yeah. deceptive people that put powder in a bowl of water and yeah. turn into blood. And that's like it. <laughs> I, I think they are definitely weak characters and there's nothing wrong with having weak characters. But if they are given a musical number, you have to hope that they're at least interesting. So... Yeah. That's those are my major criticisms, but other than that, I I think they were almost perfect. It I I still really do love this movie. All right, AJ, you want to crunch those numbers for us? All right, breaking the top ten. So Yay. we have a group average of nine point one, which ties it with Django Unchained. Uh, puts it below a trio of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. A few dollars more and Die Hard, which are all 9.4. And it is above a fistful of dollars at 8.9. Oh, okay. Wow. That's uh, that's pretty crazy for this, yeah, this I know, little right? engine that could, I guess. Mm. Knocked a uh, girl with a dragon tattoo out of the top 10. Oh. Yo, really? Can we please like, raise my score on that one, though? <laughs> <laughs> a girl with a dragon tattoo. Back, like, like, look, I know, I know, I didn't give it a bad score, but it, it, I, just thinking about it, hey, it deserves we have more. To, we have to live with the injustices that we've bestowed yeah. upon yeah. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. A what does that podcast. remind me of? Yeah. What does that remind me of? <laughs> injustices? injustices and scores. Hmm. Football. Are we doing Football. this after my score? I like this. I do. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm looking into my mind. I'm seeing the number seven and i'm weirdly What's seeing in the box? a football being oh. punted through a snowy landscape whoa yetis <laughs> oh what gosh what is this da- david could you clear this vision up for me i see brendan fraser in a long lost son do, do you have some sort of affinity towards this vision that i'm having i need to see this movie again I think we should all see this movie again. It might be. All right, all right, it's all right, a movie. Wait, which, wait, which movie? David, David, wait, David. Wait, 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 wait. Which movie? Uh, the Mummy Doing a Dragon Emperor. No, say it a little louder. This is The Mummy Doing a Dragon Emperor. No, say it a little louder. It's The Mummy Doing a Dragon Emperor. Now say it clearer. It's The Mummy Doing the Dragon Emperor. A movie that you scored. David, wait, 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 David. Think of any number that comes to your mind. Seven. Wow. That's what. Okay, just to sum up this this stupid bit that we've been doing on almost every episode, David did in fact score the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor a seven out of ten in one of our earlier episodes. Look for that episode, I dare you. Yeah. Try to find it's it. It's on screenpunk.net. It's so not there. Don't it. look for it. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can, can't find it. It is. It, you can find it if you try. Uh, but yeah, David regrets that day ever since. Uh, but for some reason, we keep reminding him. I feel like there are more injustices, but that one just for some reason stuck. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, David. Uh, moving on. <laughs> it's called a meme. <laughs> You're, Man, You're okay. a meme, David. Uh, That's yeah. fine. I'll live with it. Meme. I'll, I'll survive. walking, breathing meme. <laughs> moving on. Uh, critics. On Rotten Tomatoes, critics gave this movie an 80%, and it has an audience score of 86%. Pretty nice. good. Yeah, on Metacritic, right. it has a 64 from critics, which is still... 
in the positive range, even though that sounds like a failing grade, it is still green. Uh, and it has an audience score of 8.6. On IMDb, it has a 7.1. Interesting. So overall, positive reviews, I'd say, that this this movie was well-received by critics. So uh, no problems there, in my opinion. Uh, let's move on to the box office. This movie released on March 18th in 1998. Uh, its competition was You've Got Mail, which was coming out in the same weekend. And uh, films that had released just before this movie were A Bug's Life and Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, so Bug's Life was Disney's big... Anim- or uh, I keep saying Disney, but it was technically just Pixar because I don't think Disney actually owned yeah. Pixar at this point, even though they were kind of under that umbrella anyway. Uh, but yeah, A Bug's Life was the one, the, the movie that DreamWorks wanted them to move because it was kind of in direct competition with this movie, Prince of e- The Prince of Egypt. I don't know why I couldn't yeah, I was like, remember uh, the title for a second. Uh, but yeah, that ultimately Disney didn't budge and DreamWorks released Ants in retaliation to that against, uh, uh, before Bug's Life, thus, you know, causing that kind of contention. That being said, this movie was budgeted at seventy million. How much do y'all think this movie made worldwide at the box office? Noah. One sixty. Say it a little louder for our audience. One hundred and sixty million dollars. Million. Million. One hundred sixty million dollars. Arena. One sixty five. I hate you. Sorry, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. Boxed in again. AJ. I will be. You said this was March. It was December. December. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I, I said no. I did say March. Yeah, that's it was what I was actually, confused. I yeah, thought it, it was, was it Christmas. was December. It was December eighteenth. Sorry. Uh, two hundred. Two hundred. David. I didn't look up the score, but I did see that this was the highest grossing animated movie non-disney ever at the time so that leads me to believe this is a pretty good number so i'm gonna go with 250 all right and with that knowledge david i do believe you are triumphant let's go no it is a 218 million not quite as high as you thought wait what was aj's yeah aj he, I thought he said 200. Uh, AJ may have won this one. Oh, week. actually, AJ, sorry, David. I'm Dang, gonna, I'm gonna, you pulled a La La Land on that me. Trophy, a, I'm going to rip that Steve trophy. Harvey on me. <laughs> Taking that trophy out of your hands, I'm giving it back to AJ. Uh, yeah, the movie did 218 million worldwide, which is more than triple its budget. It is, to this day, DreamWorks' biggest uh, hand-drawn animation success. I mean, it's not much competition because they only did three other movies. But yeah, this kind of, you know, gave DreamWorks confidence in that medium. They kept making hand-drawn animated movies after this. It didn't kill that uh, that type of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So franchise potential, though. Did this movie receive any sequels? I hope not. Uh, sort of. Prequel. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. It, it got a prequel and... They kind of followed that template that Disney had of doing the direct-to-DVD after the initial massive film success, which I think is the stupidest thing ever. Like, you're you're yeah, literally leaving money this. on the table because 
Yeah, especially in Disney's case where they had Lion King and uh, Little Mermaid and what are some of the other ones they made direct? Uh, Tarzan. Return of Jafar. Yeah, Atlantis, oh, Aladdin. They have uh, Mulan. They all have these direct-to-DVD sequels that are just not nearly as good. The quality of them is terrible. And we've tried to watch a couple of them. They're they're almost unwatchable. But Disney has has learned from this since then. They're they're making all these live action remakes and actually capitalizing on, you know, what people want. But sort <laughs> of. Seriously, sort if, of. if they had actually put their top tier talent into a Lion King 2 or something like that, they could have just kept these franchises running. Not as much as I don't like that, as much as I I much prefer them making new properties. It it's weird that they would just decide to to throw away any potential for a continuation of that story to the B team and say like, hey, here's your limited budget, make this crappy sequel to this, and we'll just release it direct to DVD. Uh, it just seems like it, it doesn't it, make sense. It's questionable, but apparently the sequel or prequel to the Prince of Egypt is actually not terrible. From what I've heard, I didn't watch it. It's called uh, Joseph, King of Dreams. I did watch that growing up. I can't remember it all that much. Yeah, one of the three directors of The Prince of Egypt actually came back to direct this, and some of the animators from Prince of Egypt also returned for this prequel. So I've heard it's not that bad, and it does technically classify this as a franchise, even though it's weird saying, like, the uh, Prince of Egypt franchise. <laughs> but uh, this whole series is kind of more about DreamWorks as a whole and just kind of how they've steered that ship through these years and just their how, how their movies have fared. But, yeah, you could technically classify Prince of Egypt as a franchise. And judging by how DreamWorks has treated their other properties, such as Kung Fu Panda, uh, Madagascar, Shrek... How to Train Your Dragon, they, they're all they're all successful and all spawned their own sequels, so you know, they would have done it with all of their other films too. It's, it's just in their nature. But yeah, this this movie also spawned a, a stage play that I think is just a kind of direct remake of the film. It's kind of a stage play of The Prince of Egypt. Huh. So Val Kilmer was car- Moses again. Mm. Yeah, so, so it did... It did carry on in certain other forms, but ultimately, kind of, that's it for the Prince of Egypt. Do y'all have any closing remarks? Is there any other way y'all would have would have taken this, you know, series, or do you think it just should have ended with this movie? I think it's fine the way it ended. I I wouldn't continue this one, but I would focus on other Bible stories. I think numbers. I, yeah. I think that would have been fun to see. Yeah. Yeah. And by numbers, you mean the chapter of the Bible? Yeah, it's a bad joke. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Just want to clarify. All right. Next week, we're talking about The Road to El Dorado, the next film in the uh, hand-drawn animation series of films in uh, DreamWorks's filmography. Are y'all excited? Mm-hmm. Yeah, baby. See? Sí. Sí? Wow. It's very good. Esto <laughs> listos. You've been you've been doing your homework. <laughs> I just dropped my computer. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, I'm excited. Road to El Dorado next week. Stay tuned. Woo! Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Let my people go.